Hey everyone, and welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington Church of Christ. I hope this will inspire you and help you grow in your faith as we see God move through His Word. Please stay tuned after to hear more about how you can help partner with us. Enjoy the message. Bob Goff lives one of the most interesting uh, lives that I could imagine. I think he goes around and he, I think he honestly lives out a life trusting Jesus where he says, what's the worst that could happen if I do this? And then he does it. For, for example, um, he wrote this best-selling book called Love Does, and he put his cell phone number in the back of the book. He said, give me a call. I'll talk to with you. Um, and uh, Jacob Blouse uh, has actually called him and said, hey, he, he answered. He said, I'll call you right back. And they talked for an hour. Um, he's a lawyer. He travels the country. He's a missionary. Uh, he just does crazy things. He tells a story where he was in Washington, D.C. on a business trip, and him and his buddy Brandon got out of a meeting pretty late. It was probably about midnight, and they were near Capitol Hill, and they saw these cars parked funny. They said, let's go see what's going on over there. And they went over, and they looked, and they said, Some, they're shooting a movie in there. And uh, they saw all these people walking around, so they ran back to their hotel. They changed into T-shirt and jeans, and they tried to get on pretending to be the crew. And so here they are, they're filming this movie, and uh, they said we had to skip, we had to hide from a couple of security cards, race across the lawn, and we ended up at the entrance where the crew went in, and the security guy said, where are your crew badges? And they said, we don't have them, and he let them in. And he said, here we are in the Library of Congress where they are filming National Treasure Part 2. And he said, we're on the set inside with all these books around. And he said, it's just such a great adventure. And then they thought, how are we going to get out of here? And he said, lo and behold, Nicolas Cage and Diane Kruger started walking past. And they had this big entourage. And they just hopped right in with them and left the set of the movie. He said, there is nothing quite like being included in something. He doesn't think he'll get an invitation back to film uh, National Treasure Part 3, and he doesn't think he'll be invited to any Oscars or anything like that, but he said there is an invitation from Christ that is available to us that includes us in this new kind of adventurous life of generosity. Jesus wants us in on this life of generosity. In the passage we're going to study today from Luke chapter 14, verses 12 through 14, we're going to look at how Jesus invites us into this life of generosity. But these particular verses are kind of hard-hitting. They require us to do a spiritual examination of our life, take a spiritual inventory of our life in three major areas, motivation, invitation, and transformation. In just these three verses, Jesus calls us to take stock of where we are, repent, and then join him in an adventurous, generous life. Luke chapter 14, verse 12 through 14 says this. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection 
of the righteous. Would you allow me to pray over our time together in the Word? Let's pray. God, I ask uh, that you would open my eyes again to this passage of Scripture. Spiritually, would you send the Holy Spirit to move us and change us? Allow us to take examination over our lives based on these words from you to us. And then help us to join you in this life of generosity. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. And now in this passage uh, of Scripture, Jesus has been, it's a Sabbath day, and he's eating with a Pharisee. He's at a Pharisee's house, and chapter 14 starts with, uh, he, he's surrounded by Pharisee and whoever the Pharisee has invited to be with him. Now, Pharisees in the Bible, they get this bad rap because um, Jesus, you know, every time he's with them, he accuses them of not having the right heart with God. Uh, but Pharisees are really respected in this area, uh, especially in Jerusalem. The Pharisees have the entire Old Testament memorized. They live out probably better than anybody obeying the laws, 615 Old Testament, Old Covenant laws uh, that God has given them. And if there are poor people around, the Pharisees are the ones that are helping the poor people because the, God's law commands them to give to the poor, to give alms to the poor, to take care of the people who are hurting, who are sick. And so the Pharisees are really well respected in the community, and they are like upper echelon. And if you were at a dinner with a Pharisee, you were like, whoa, I got to be invited to their house, the Pharisee's house. And um, so probably the people surrounding the Pharisee are probably um, really well-to-do. They're either scholars or law followers or they're included in the in-group. They're, they're already involved. And here Jesus is, and you know, and I've never seen this. I love one preacher said, nowhere in the Bible does it indicate that once Jesus was invited to eat with a Pharisee, he was ever invited to come back. <laughs> because he just knocks them down right off their high horse every time he's around them in the scripture. And so chapter 14 starts and Jesus is with them. And there is a guy somewhere in the vicinity. So that probably the house was, um, they have an open air courtyard where they're eating. And uh, there was a person who was really sick in that area. And Jesus looked at him and he said, is it, is it okay to heal on the Sabbath? And nobody said anything. Because Jesus is already kind of throwing some of their traditions, their man-made traditions out. He's already knocked them down a couple of pegs. And nobody says anything. And he says, listen, you guys who follow the law, you only follow it when it's convenient for you. And he heals the guy. See why he's not invited back to dinner? And then he notices everybody scrambling when they go sit down to see who can sit closest to the host because there, this honor-shame society, whoever sits closest to the host is the most important. Whoever has to sit furthest away is the least important. And the right and left and then further back. And, and Jesus says, guys, you, you got this whole thing mixed up. And he, he doesn't just stop there. He finally says, and he's surrounded by all these Social includers, the rich, the law keepers, the people you want to be like. And he says, you know, when you give a dinner, <laughs> you got to get rid of all these jokers. Oh, Jesus is calling this Pharisee and the people at the dinner to check their motivation for why they do anything, why they do anything good. 
And I think because the Holy Spirit was inspired to write these words of Jesus, to record what Jesus spoke in that scene at that dinner table, these words are also meant for us. And when Jesus calls the Pharisee to examine his own motivation, he calls us to examine our motivation for the good things we do, for the dinner parties we have, for the things we sell for missionaries. He's calling us to examine our motivation. Motivation, invitation, and transformation. Now, there are some good reasons to be motivated to serve God. For example, there's love. For God so loved the world, he gave his son. Because God loved me, I'm going to love him back. Love is a great motivator to do something that is good and holy and right. If you want to show the love of God, the same love that he has given you to others, you go and love and you do good to them. That's a great motivator, love. Gratitude, I'm so thankful that God loved me enough to send his son to die for me. I'm so thankful that God is preparing a place for me. I'm so thankful to be included in the family of God. I want to share that with somebody else. Gratitude, it's a great motivator. Eternal reward, Jesus talks about this all the time. He says we are allowed to be self-seeking. We can be selfish if we're focused on the reward we're going to get when we get to heaven. I love that part. Um, It's a bad philosophy and bad theology to think that you, uh, it doesn't count for good if you get anything out of it in return. For example, if you do something good and it brings you joy, that's okay. That's a a blessing that God has wired into us, that if we do something good and and we get joy out of it, that's that's all right. If we get uh, warm fuzzies because somebody else was helped, that's a good thing. Just because we get paid back for the good we do doesn't make it bad, but Jesus says, hey, we need to make sure we're focusing on the eternal reward we're getting, and that's the self-seeking reward we're going to get. For example, he said... We need to store up treasure in heaven. And you do that by doing good in Christ. If you're in Christ, you do good. Everything gets counted for you positively. And there's going to be, I don't quite understand it, but there's going to be rewards and responsibilities given to us in heaven. And a lot of that is based on how we live in Christ here. For those who've been given little They will be given some in heaven for those who are responsible with a little, responsible with a lot. In heaven, they're going to be given a responsibility for a lot. Um, One story Jesus tells, the people who ruled well here and responsible here are going to get cities to rule in heaven. I don't know how it's going to work exactly. But God intended for Adam and Eve and all of their children to rule and have dominion on the earth. He's going to return and give us a new earth, a new heaven, and that rule is going to continue motivation for eternal reward is a good motivation love gratitude uh, eternal significance of eternal reward duty uh, being obligated to serve the king is a good motivation we have the king of everything the creator yahweh who united himself with humanity and came to be with us Lord of lords, King of kings, he is who we worship and serve. If you just serve and do what is right and good because you have an obligation as a called out member of the world, you are called out for a mission. 
If you just do your duty, that's a good motivation. We are called to be ambassadors for Christ. Everywhere we go, we're supposed to take the good news that Jesus died and rose again. We're supposed to live the good news out of our life so other people can praise and worship God. We're supposed to be like Christ. That's what Christians were called, little Christs, everywhere we go. And if you are just serving because you know that you owe the king, obligated the king, that's a good motivation. And this, this motivation, I love this motivation. Now, it's not my favorite motivation, but it's a real motivator. Fear. If you fear God, you're going to stand before judgment He's going to judge every thought you've had, every word you've said, and every action you've taken. If you fear God and that makes you do something that is good and holy, that's a good motivator. It's not my favorite motivator, but it's a motivator. If you fear hell, hell is a real place that the Bible describes in terms that are very uncomfortable it says, lake of fire, the burning never ceases, and the worm never stops devouring you. If you have an eternal body that is being sent to hell, and you are forever on fire, but you don't burn up, that is a real reason to be afraid of not being included in God's kingdom. Fear, although not my favorite motivator, is a motivator used in Scripture. Jesus looked at that Pharisee. He said, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers, sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors because they're going to pay you back. He looked at him and said, your motivation is way off. The bad motivations that we have to examine our hearts for, we have to examine our hearts whether we are doing what is right and good so that we can earn salvation. That is not how the kingdom of God works. You cannot do enough good things to give you enough points to get into heaven. You cannot be good enough to get into heaven because God requires perfection to make it into heaven. You cannot love enough, you cannot give enough away to earn heaven. You can't balance the scales either. Well, I've done something bad, so if I do something good, that will erase the bad. That doesn't work that way. It doesn't even make sense. If you kill my grandma, what good could you do that's going to make up for my grandma being dead? I love that illustration. If you break a law of God or a law of man that is not dishonorable to God, why do you think good will erase the law-breaking part? You can't earn your salvation. You can't balance the scales. Those are bad motivators to do good. And there's one other motivator that's really terrible that we are all in danger of. And this is what the Pharisee was doing. It's the applause of men. We really have to examine our hearts for this one. The Pharisee had probably been invited to other rich people's houses for dinner. He was in their debt. So what did he do? He threw a rich party and invited them to pay them back. And ever happened to you? You got invited, you were given a gift. So one person in our church, they say, oh, don't give me any gifts because then I got to get you one. I don't want to give away any gifts. Or this Pharisee wanted to be invited to a rich party, so he invited that person to come. And so later when they throw a rich party, they'll, give, they'll invite him back. 
Love the applause of men. Love to be seen, Jesus said. You love having people see you and say, oh, look at what a good job you did. We really have to examine ourselves for this one. Do we want the applause of men or do we want the praise of God? I I really have to examine this one for myself. I love being the center of attention under the spotlight. I love it when everybody laughs at my jokes. I know what you're thinking. Dale, when's the last time you told a joke we laughed at? I was challenged several months ago when Aaron Davis was here, and he has got almost the entire Bible memorized. And he'll stand in front, and he'll have the Scripture memorized of what he's going to preach. And I said, oh, I'm, I'm going to try that. And i got to tell you, it has changed, it's changed me. Memorizing the Scripture before I preach on it and spending the time in God's Word to memorize it has, has changed me for the better. It really has. Um, it's affected me spiritually. It's affected my study time. It, it uh, reveals things that I never saw before. But I got to tell you, there's a part of me that knows that you know that I memorized it, and I know that you like it that I memorized the Scripture. Am I in this for the applause of men or the praise of God? Am I memorizing the scripture so I know it inside and out, so I can hold out the truth as clearly as possible, or do I just want the praise? We have to examine ourselves here. And Jesus says to this Pharisee, you've got to examine your motivation. Why would you invite all these rich people? Why would you invite the people that can pay you back? Do you know the meal for one rich person? How many poor people that can feed? Think about it. How much money does it take to satisfy somebody who's wealthy with a meal and a good party and a good host, the right decorations, the right kind of food? How much does it cost to feed people who don't have any food? See, we have to examine our motivation. We also have to examine our invitation. Jesus says this command to the Pharisee, and I think by the Holy Spirit, he's saying it to us. When you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed. This is a literal command to have people eat with you that don't belong with you. Or in your mind, you think they don't belong with you. Now, the poor in Jesus' day, this is kind of an interesting thing. Poor in the Greek and poor to the Hebrew honor-shame culture does not necessarily mean financially poor. Like when we use the word poor in English, we are thinking financially poor. But when Jesus says invite the poor, he's more talking about the outcasts in the society. Those who don't measure up. Those who are not keeping all the rules and helping other people. And so we read about, especially in the Gospel of Luke, how Jesus kept encountering, having these interactions with people who were poor. So he met a woman who had a bleeding problem. Well, she couldn't go in the temple. She was spiritually unclean. She was poor. He would interact with children. He'd say, let the children come to me. Well, they were kind of uh, disregarded. Children weren't that important. He kept having these interactions with women who were second tier in society. 
He met with a tax collector. Now, Zacchaeus was not financially poor, but Jesus would count him among the poor, and the Pharisees definitely wouldn't have Zacchaeus come into his house because that's the poor person, the social outcast, those who are outside the system, those who are not included. And Jesus says, a life of generosity, the life of the cross, the life of the kingdom is going to include those who are not included. It's radical. It's different. He says, when you give a banquet, you invite the poor, those who don't get invited to anywhere else. We have to examine ourselves on this. For those of you who, in this room, and there, there are two separations in this room, even in this room. There are those in this room who can invite somebody to dinner. And there are those in this room who don't have enough money to invite somebody for dinner. We have to examine ourselves. Those of us who can invite, are we inviting people that really don't fit in with us, taking the kingdom life outside? When, when the last time you ate out... Okay, because in Jesus' day, it was invite to that open-air thing. And I think when we give banquets now, uh, everyday banquets, we're taking people out to dinner. When you ate out last time, did you eat with your family or somebody you really liked? Or did you invite somebody to eat with you who was a social outcast? The half-truth that's going to kill you here is Jesus doesn't say you can't eat with your family and you can't eat with rich people and you can't eat with uh, people who are going to pay you back. He doesn't say you have to get rid of that. He just says your motivation must be about kingdom work and I'm turning everything upside down. For those who feel like they're outcasts, I'm going to invite them in so that they can be in the kingdom of God, God's children, and I'm going to use the church to go do that again and act like me. So those of you who can invite people to dinner, when's the last time you invited somebody who doesn't belong? And those of you who cannot afford to invite somebody to dinner, is there something you can do in your lifestyle and the decisions you make that will honor God, that will take care of your money in such a way that you will build up enough to bless somebody else and, and, and be faithful that God is going to resupply you so you can give away even more? Both people, financially well-to-do and financially poor, we all have a problem that we spend what we have on ourselves for the applause of men, not advancing the kingdom. And so Jesus says we need to examine our invitation. I think there's another thing here we ought to examine. Do we recognize that we are the poor in this scenario spiritually? So Jesus, he leaves his status in heaven to come to earth, uniting his divinity with humanity, 100% God, 100% human, walking around the earth, displaying the kingdom of God wherever he goes. He made himself poor to reach the spiritual outcast, those who needed rescue from their sin sickness. We are the ones who need rescue from our sin sickness. Do we recognize that we're the poor here? Who did Jesus come to save? He came to save those who are sick, 
not the healthy. The healthy don't need a doctor. The people who have enough money and the people who can take care of themselves and the people who uh, seem to obey the laws and the people who are already included, they're not looking for God to provide them anything because they got everything under control. They have everything they need. Where do you fall on this scale? Because if you have everything under control and you have all that you need and you don't need God to provide anything, are you even looking for God? Check your invitation. Do we realize, do we recognize that we're the poor that's been invited to join with Christ because we need rescue? When we invite somebody, literally invite them to go eat. Dr. Townsend, who is a uh, world-renowned psychologist, he's written several books, he said we can actually give them relational nutrients. He trademarked relational nutrients. He said just like vitamin C, vitamin D, uh, calcium that we get from food that our bodies need, we need nutrients that only relationships can give. And so when we invite somebody who's socially outcast, somebody who's poor, somebody who needs a pick-me-up, we can actually give them relational nutrients. And he says, Dr. Townsend said, we are going to need relational nutrients too. But a lot of times, if we don't recognize that we are in need, we're going to be unhealthy. If we don't recognize our need for Christ, we are doomed to hell. That's unhealthy. Or we're going to go down roads that lead nowhere or to death. Imagine traveling all over the world and not having anything to show for it because we haven't dedicated it to God. Imagine going about business and life, earning money and a house and a family and not dedicating to God. It is a path that has led nowhere. Do we recognize our relational nutrient deficiency that we need to turn to Christ for or that we could give others? Dr. Townsend said we could give four Relational nutrients to other people when we eat with them. Number one is we can give them our presence. Just giving somebody your time without judging them, just showing the love of Christ to them is something lots of people need. Do you have somebody that just gives you time, that gives you attention? We need that. Do you know somebody needs attention? We can give each other the presence. We can convey the good, Dr. Townsend said, that means uh, we can encourage one another. That's one of the beauties of getting in a small group or being in a Sunday school class. Having other Christians around you can encourage you, can give you what is good from God or from the church or from your group and can encourage you. We've started a visitation team. I love the fact that we have a visitation team because a visitation team somebody means somebody who's in need of a visit, whether in the hospital or whether they had surgery or whether they're homebound or whether they need communion. We'll get three or four visits to my one or none. We can convey the good. We can encourage each other when we meet together. We can also provide reality. I am so thankful that I have a wife that tells me where I'm wrong. When we meet together, a lot of times we need somebody to show us what we're blind to and give us a reality check and give us the facts. And then they, the number four relational nutrient that we can give to each other is a call to action. When you spend time with somebody and you show that you love them, and then you encourage them. 
and you reveal where they might be messing up or missing out, you can call them to take an action that will give God glory and will improve their health, spiritually, emotionally, physically. And then you can even give them a kick in the butt to do it. But you have to examine the invitation. If you're not meeting with anybody who needs anything, how are you going to give them relational nutrients and how are they going to give you relational nutrients? How are you going to mo be motivated to get an eternal reward or show the love of Christ if they're not hungry for love? Well, people who are poor are hungry for love. We check our motivation. We examine our invitation, then God will use us to bring about transformation. Almost everywhere in Scripture, when God does something, He uses somebody to do it through. When they were being brought and being made a people, that God said, I'm going to choose you as a nation, I'm going to promote nothing you did, nothing, uh, you're not special in any way, I'm just choosing you. He used Abraham to produce a child to start a family that would later become the Israelites. When he brought the Israelites out of slavery, it was God who sent the wind to blow the Red Sea and part the Red Sea so they could walk across on dry land, but he used Moses to do it by raising his staff over the water. When they went into the promised land, they had to cross the Jordan, and it was at flood season, and so he had the priestly representatives go into the water first, and when they did, the water piled back up, way up the river, so they could walk across on dry land. God is always using people to bring about his will. When he got ready to cure us of our sin sickness and pay our penalty, he used a man, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to save us from our sins. God always uses people to bring about his transformative work. If you are trying to glorify God by actually meeting with people to give them relational nutrients just to show the love of God with somebody, he's going to transform you and he's going to transform them. Now he's going to empower us with the Holy Spirit and he's going to bring about the change in them via the Holy Spirit but he's going to use you to be the means of grace for them to change if you're going to join Jesus on this life of generosity where you are giving your your prayers and your words of encouragement, and your money to raise people up, and, and you're giving your attention, and you're giving your stuff, and you're giving your time, because generosity includes all of you. If you're, if you're going to join all of you with God's kingdom work, He is going to use you to change somebody else, and in the process, you're going to be changed. And Jesus says, although they can't repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. You read a little further in Luke, and you come to Luke 18, Jesus said, you're going to get a reward now and later if you allow him to use you to transform others. I think that's beautiful. When we examine our motivation, and we make sure we're motivated to love and serve, obligated in duty, and we're going to seek our eternal reward and then we check our invitation. We make sure we are included in the kingdom of God by accepting Christ, by submitting our whole will to Jesus. 
Then we start inviting the people who are poor, who need help, and we start loving on them. We start giving them time. We start revealing Christ to them. God uses us to change them. And in the process, he changes us. Are you being transformed? Well, this is a great opportunity to examine this aspect of your life. If you're not being transformed by the Holy Spirit, are you quenching the Holy Spirit by not being open to serve? By not being open to give? By not allowing yourself to invite somebody who is in need to eat with you? Just really, that's eat with you. Are you using your life just for yourself or are you using your life for God? If you're, this is a good examination. If you're not being changed, even incrementally, even a little bit, if you're not being changed, if you're not being pulled along to maturity, it could be that you are telling God and rebelling against God and telling him you don't want him to change you and you're not going to leave yourself open for that change. Are you, is God using you to transform anybody else? Are you planting seeds of faith? Are you watering them? Are you being open for him to use you? This is the life of generosity. Now we talk about giving. We talk about giving to our missionaries. But Jesus calls us more to a life of generosity than just our money. And he calls our money. I got a call yesterday from... uh, I got an email from Matt and Darrell Noggle. Matt's one of our elders. And he, they said, you know, last week you challenged us to sell one item and take that money and give, put it in the boxes for the missionaries we're supporting. Uh, we support missionaries with monthly gifts. Um, but this month we're just trying to give them an extra boost, a surprise gift of cash. Straight cash, homie. And... Um, Matt and Darrell, they said, hey, you know, if somebody didn't get an opportunity to sell or there's still some more stuff to help, why can't we have a church-wide yard sale? And so they, they said, let's just pick a September 28th, Saturday, September 28th, we have a church-wide yard sale. Matt said, I'll be there setting up tables at 8. That's when we'll collect. Anybody wants to bring something by to sell, make sure you bring it. September 28th, early in the morning, put a price tag on it, on what, it's, what you want to get out of it. And whatever's left over, they're just going to take to Goodwill. But all the money made from this yard sale, they're going to give to our two missionaries we're supporting that we just want to give a surprise gift of money to. They don't know we're doing it. It's just sacrificial giving. So here, that's our action plan to jumpstart this generous life in us. On September 28th, we're having a church-wide yard sale. We're only collecting items on September 28th in the morning. You have to drop it off or get somebody to drop it off for you. Make sure it has a price tag on it. And they're going to put it there, and they're going to have a yard sale from 8 to 12.30. All the money collected is going to be given to our two missionaries, Dale Mead and the two, then the couple I can't name because this goes out on the internet. We don't want to share their names online because their life will be in danger. September 28, that's your action plan. It already starts getting you thinking about others, using what you have for God's kingdom, providing for somebody else who is not as wealthy as you. That's where our missionaries lie. So Jesus calls us to this generous life. He called the Pharisees too. 
And he always, when he calls, he always calls and asks us to take stock of our life, examine our life, and then repent. That means turn away from the way we're doing things and come and join him in how he does things. So he, he calls us in this passage to examine our motivation. Why do we do the good things we do? To examine our invitation. Who are we literally eating with and spending time with? And to examine whether we're being transformed and whether we're transforming others. A good way to do this, a good way to examine all three aspects of those areas is in communion. I love how Jerry Bridges says we ought to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. If we start feeling too high, like we're doing things right, and we're following all the rules, and we seem to have got it made, and we don't need anything, we're reminded when we preach the gospel to ourselves that it's because of our sin that Jesus had to die. And that kind of lowers us to about thinking accurately about ourselves. And if we start thinking poorly about ourselves, like we don't have it together, and we can't seem to get it right, and we're always messing up, and we messed up again, and we preach the gospel to ourselves, we're reminded that Jesus loved us so much that he came to earth to die for us sacrificing himself because he loves us and that raises us back up to think accurately about ourselves in communion we have exam we have a chance to examine our motivation and how we're living for god and in that examination we're going to figure out that we have fallen short of god's glory and as we consume the bread and drink the cup we're reminded that Jesus' sacrifice covered over everywhere where we have fallen short and has provided payment for that penalty of sin, and empowerment from the Spirit to go live for Him. And it motivates us, and it heals us, and it transforms us, and all of that happens during communion. And we're reminded that He's going to come back, and He's going to reward us for everywhere where we have done what is good in God's name. I'm going to pray for our communion, and the guys will come by and pass the plate. Would you examine your own lives and then trust Christ that he has provided for you in the cross your healing, your forgiveness, your motivation, and your empowerment through the Holy Spirit to go live for him? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time that you have set apart for us when we gather together to remember your sacrifice on the cross. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this ministry has impacted you, I ask that you would pray and consider partnering with us financially so that we could continue to minister here in our community and beyond. Visit us online at wcconline.org backslash donate to find out how you can be a part of what God is doing here. Thank you again for joining us, and I hope to see you back here next time.